So yesterday afternoon, uh, just a great service. If you were there, uh, you know, tribute to Charlie Brown. And during that uh, service, uh, one of the pictures came up, came up a couple times, and it was a picture of uh, the founding elders of uh, this church. And that's, sorry, God just spoke to me and said, Look at how blessed you were uh, to to know those men. To know each, I looked at each one of them, and each one of them had imparted something to me in my life. And uh, what a blessing! Two are gone to be with the Lord now, uh, and there's two more still. And uh, I just felt so blessed. And and I was thinking about it, and and I thought, you know, uh, the 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 reason they had such impact in my life and lives of thousands, uh, because they were men of God. They loved the Lord Jesus. Charlie loved the Lord Jesus. Dave loved the Lord Jesus. Chuck, Randy loved the Lord Jesus, and they served him. And in serving them, they blessed his church. And so I was just overwhelmed with that, and overwhelmed that I was able to, to know those men and so I just want to talk today and, and hopefully drive us today to the Lord Jesus. That's, I feel like that's my ministry today, to drive, maybe every day, but today especially, to drive us to the Lord Jesus. This is uh, week seven, History of Redemption series. In your notes, last week I said I was going to cover uh, Exodus 33 and 40. I lie. Don't always listen to me. Uh, as I prepared the message, I realized that you just bit off way too much. Uh, so we're going to just stay in Exodus 33. That's going to be our focus. And what we're going to see in this uh, chapter is a picture of desperation. Desperation for God. And the main question I want us to ask ourselves as individuals and as a church is, are we, are you desperate for God? Are you desperate for the presence of the Lord in your life? We live in a day and age where uh, it's dangerous, as Tom said. It's easy to do religion. Say the right words, participate in the right activities, put on the right face, go to church. Do religious stuff without the presence of God or the power of His Spirit, and that is dangerous. Moses understood just how dangerous it was. And what we're going to see in Exodus 33 is Moses' desperation for the Lord. God had brought his people out of Egypt. Last week we saw the final, the final plague. We saw the institution of the Passover feast. The captives were delivered by blood. God then leads his people through the Red Sea to Mount Sinai. They receive the law. They enter into the Mosaic Covenant They agree to obey the Lord in all things. And in Exodus 24, we saw that covenant confirmed by blood. And at the end of Exodus 24, Moses goes back up Mount Sinai to receive more from the Lord. I've got more for you, Moses. I got more for the people. Verse 18, Exodus 24, Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Forty days and forty nights. Moses is on the mountain with the Lord. And in chapters 25 through 31 of Exodus, 
we get the record of, of what God says to Moses during this time. God gives Moses instructions basically mainly for the tabernacle. The tabernacle, this big giant tent, uh, would be a place where God would meet with his people as they traveled around. They can carry it and, and they could pitch it, make it, and then take it with them wherever they went. The tabernacle would be a key place in God's relationship with his people. So Moses is given detailed instructions, and there's more to come even after 31. Detailed instruction on how he would build it, what he would put in it, the Ark of the Covenants talked about, what the priests would do, what they would wear, etc. Very detailed instructions. Basically, God is giving Moses instructions as to how his people were to meet with, have relationship with, worship God. And in chapter 31, verse 18, we read, And he, God, gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written by the finger of God. That's just cool. So Moses has these two tablets, ten commandments, five on each, I don't know, written with the finger of God, and he heads down the mountain. And what does he find? Anyone? A, a, a party, and not a, not a good party. He finds the people who 40 days before had agreed to enter into the covenant with the Lord. Remember we saw that? We'll do whatever you say, Lord. People who had said... Uh, who, who had been covered with a blood sacrifice, who had been atoned for, their sins had be, been atoned for. The, the 70 men had went up to the mountain and they saw God. And what are they doing? They're worshiping a, a golden calf, a golden idol. It took them less than 40 days, less than, I don't, you know, 40, Moses was up there for sometime in that time, they do, they do this, it took them less than 40 days to break their covenant with the Lord. And at first, it seems like God, you know, this is a question, what, what you know, Moses is going to pray for the people and God's going to relent, but it seems like at this time, God is going to wipe them out and start over with Moses. He says, I'm going to just take care of them, we'll do it, I'll do it with you. But Moses intercedes for, intercedes for the people he reminds them of the Abrahamic covenant. God, you promised. Remember, you walk through that thing with Abraham. Abraham was asleep. It's not up to us. And God doesn't destroy the people who've broken covenant with him. Moses, though, as the leader of the people, he does punish them. He, he sets them apart and says, if you won't stand for the Lord, uh, he sends the Levites out and about 3,000 people are killed. So there was some punishment. Moses then again returns to the mountain to make atonement for the sins of the people. And in chapter 33, verses 1 through 3, we read these words. The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. So up to the land of milk and honey. Good so far, right? Looks like everything's forgiven, forgotten. God restates his promise to the people to give them the promised land. Then the shoe drops. God says, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. I don't know what that means. They all had 
arthritis. They were... And what we have here, what we have is the promise of God, I will go with you without the presence of God, but I'm not going. Wait, I didn't say that right. Stop, rewind. The promise of God, I will give you the land without the presence of God. I'm not going with you. And here is this, this crucial moment, this crucial moment in Israel's history. Moses, as their leaders, faced with this crucial moment, and, and, and we're faced with a crucial question as well. Think about it. Would you take God's offer? Would you take it? Let's be careful when we answer. This is exactly the kind of Christianity we've created today. Come to Christ and get stuff. Come to Christ and get forgiveness. Get heaven. Get the abundant life and so much more. But we need to understand, we need to get this. You come to Christ to get God. You come to Christ to get God. God Himself is the one that we need. All of His promises flow from Him. You won't get forgiveness. You won't get heaven. You won't get abundant life. If you don't want God. So Israel's faced with the promises of God without the presence of God. And they were wise enough. I mean, they were stupid enough to worship this calf, but wise enough to know this is a, this is a problem. In verse 4, they respond, When the people heard this word, God's not coming with us, they mourned. They mourned. They were, they've repented from the golden calf. They've seen the error of their ways. But now they're faced with the possibility of losing God's presence and they mourn. And Moses, as their representative, boldly states to the Lord in verse 15, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. If your presence will not go with me, we're not going. If you're not going, God, we're not going. Moses understood that the promise of God The promise of God without the presence of God is worthless. Moses knew that he and the people would not survive. They would not thrive without God. They needed God. God, Moses is desperate for the presence of God in his life and the life of the people. Now what we're going to do this morning is look at Exodus 33. And there we're going to find, I'm going to point out four practical and, and motivational reasons why Moses why the people of Israel, and why we need to be, must be, should be desperate for the presence of the Lord in our lives and in our church. Moses pictures these four reasons. First, number one, Moses had a relationship he could not abandon. Moses had a relationship he could not abandon. Moses, more than anyone else in the Old Testament, maybe save David, could say he had an intimate relationship with God. We see this relationship in Exodus chapter 33, verses 7 through 11. Moses, now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. This is before the tabernacle. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Moses would pitch this tent in a meeting outside the camp, and anyone who wanted to seek the Lord could go to this place, and, and this, this tent. It wasn't just Moses, but Moses seemed to be the one that would take full advantage 
of this place, of this tent. Verse 8 continues. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as man speaks to his friend. This is, this is really amazing if you think about the picture. Moses starts walking outside the camp toward this tent and, and the word starts spreading. Hey, Moses is going to the tent. Moses is going to the tent. And, and this causes thousands of people to come out of their tent and just stand there. To watch the Lord descend upon this tent. The Israelites rise up. They go stand at the door of their tents. All eyes are fixed on Moses as he walks in front of the people to the tent. And the cloud comes and rests. And all of Israel stands silent in silent awe. Because there's a man meeting with God. A man who has a relationship with God. A man who's unwilling to let that relationship go. If your presence will not go with me, do do not bring us up from this land. Moses gives us a picture of a man who's desperate for his relationship with the Lord. And the question is, the question we have to ask each other, or ourselves, as individuals, as a church, are we desperate for our relationship with the Lord? Are we desperate? Are you desperate for the Lord in your life? Because in case you didn't know this, we don't gather today together on Sunday mornings to watch one person go into a tent and meet with God. You can't come here. You must not come here. And you must not live your lives to observe others who have relationship with God, Do you understand that each and every believer, like Moses, has access to God? Oh my God, can I say that? We have access to God. And you don't just have access to Him. You don't have to go to some tent where He'll descend. You are the tent. You're the place where God descends. You're the place where God meets you. If you're a child of God... If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've trusted, may I say from last week, the sacrificial blood of Jesus, then the Spirit of God indwells you. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3, these crazy words, these amazing words. Do you not know, he says, Christian, you are God's temple, the place where God dwells, and the Spirit of God dwells in you. This is the most amazing and radical, life-transforming truth in the Bible. What Moses and, and other Old Testament saints could only long for, what they only partially at times experienced, you and I can have on a moment by moment basis. Oh, what a privilege we have, allowed to be in the presence of God. Allowed to be in relationship with the holy creator of the universe. Do you understand what amazing gift this is? You know what? I, it seems like we don't. It seems like we don't get it. Because all too often we abandon this relationship for other things. We allow, we even invite other things to distract us 
from our relationship with the living God. Sometimes, sometimes those things are out and out sinful. We abandon our relationship with God for the sinful pleasures of this world. We allow the world, the flesh, and the devil to ensnare and devastate our relationship, to crush it with our own sin. And to that, I have to say, just stop it. Stop. Cry out to God for deliverance. If you're stuck in a sin, if it's taking away your relationship with God, cry out to Him. I I believe with all my heart, if you'll cry out to Him, He'll deliver you. He'll deliver you. But you know, that's not not all. Satan is, is... So subtle, so subtle. Because we also abandon our relationship with God for the not so sinful. We just fill our lives with other uh, good things. Here's a, a little list. Cars and entertainment and exercising and internet and Facebooking and gardening and golfing and sports and home improvement projects and net surfing and wave surfing and shopping and video games and board games and that's just for my, my son, Michael. He likes it. And the, the list goes on. I know nobody else does it. Our lives are full of things that distract us from the living God. And maybe worst of all, we have the uh, unmitigated gall. I, I don't know. I just wrote that and now I'm saying it. We have the unmitigated gall to take God's gifts and abandon His presence. Yes, Lord, will give me, give me, give me. You know, stay over there. We say yes to God's promises and no to His presence in our lives. He gives us life and we live for ourselves. He gives us a job and we don't take Him with us to the office. We don't use the money that He gives us for His purposes. We use it for our own selfish pleasures. He gives us a home and we don't even honor Him in our neighborhood. He gives us family and friends And we don't involve him in those relationships. Let me just ask you two questions, two diagnostic questions. Last uh, last night, Brian Park spoke about uh, a poem Charlie wrote about spiritual biopsy. Let's do a little biopsy, a diagnosis here. Let me ask you two questions just about your personal relationships. Number one. Do your non-Christian family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, the people you spend time with, the people that supposedly know who you are, do these people know you have a relationship with God? Do they know you love Jesus? And if they do not, why not? I don't mean to be harsh. You know, when someone says they don't mean to be harsh, they really do. I don't mean to be harsh. But if the people you spend time with don't know you have a relationship with God, you probably don't. You probably don't. I'm not, I said probably because I'm not God. I'm not going to tell you that. But I'm just saying, probably don't. Question number two. When you spend time with other believers, this is convicting to me. I'm, 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 I'm uh, you know, I'm talking to myself. Do you bring the Lord into those relationships? Do you talk about the things of God, the things God is doing in your life, the way He's using you to reach out, the way He's helping you to overcome sin? Do you confess your sins to one another and pray for one another? 
the way he's transforming your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Is that what you talk about? Do you talk about Jesus? Or do you just talk about music and technology and sports and entertainment? Or, and if you're over 50, your latest illness. And if you're under 50, you're, I mean, I'm just saying, you don't want to be at the beginning of our elder meetings because it's just a, because uh, we are elder, Okay. Do you see what I'm saying? I don't want you to misunderstand, by the way. Uh, I don't want you leaving this place saying, uh, the pastor said, I'm not supposed to work or have a hobby or a home or a car or to have a relationship with other people. That's not it at all. I'm not saying that these things in and of themselves are wrong, but what I am saying is when these things, even these people, cause you distract you or cause you to abandon your relationship with God, then they're just as sinful as lying or hate or lust or pride or fill in the blank. There's nothing, nothing more important than maintaining and growing in your relationship with the living God. So the question is, how can we, how can we allow anything anything sinful or otherwise, to interfere with that relationship. Moses would not, and we must not. So first, Moses had a relationship with God he could not abandon. We have a relationship with God. I pray we have a relationship with God. We cannot, should not, must not abandon it or even be distracted from it. Second, Moses knew he was in trouble if God left him because Moses had a mission he could not complete. Those who have a, uh, write this down, if you, if you ever want to quote me, quote this. Those who have a relationship with the Lord will have a mission from the Lord, guaranteed. There was, this was certainly true with Moses. He was given a mission of leading his people out of Egypt into the promised land. And in Exodus 33, 12 and 13, he expresses, he expresses his concern to God about accomplishing that mission. For Moses, it seems like it's mission impossible at this point. Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but, but you've not let me know whom will you send with me. Yet you've said, I, I know you by name, and, and you've also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I've found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. Moses is saying, God, there's a problem. There's a problem between the mission you've given me and the resources I have to accomplish this mission. I can't do it. What you've called me to do, I can't do unless you show me your ways, unless you lead me, unless you go with me. Have you ever felt that way? You should. You should. Everything in the Christian life is like this. It's designed to be like this. There's not one thing that God calls you or I to do that we can do on our own without His resources. If you claim to be doing the work of the Lord, but do not need His power to accomplish it, then you're not doing the work of the Lord. Everything He calls you to demands His presence to accomplish. Jesus makes this so clear. John 15, He says, I'm the vine... You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, 
He is that bears much fruit. He it is. Sorry, I knew that was wrong. He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nada. A little Spanish there for you guys. I, I, that's, that's as far as it goes. You can do nothing. Absolutely nothing. And this is so contrary to our way of thinking. We've been taught the American dream. It says, if you do your best with what you have, if you work hard, then you can accomplish great things. But that is not the gospel. The gospel says, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. This is true in our lives as individuals. It's true for us as a church. We've been given a mission. We even have a mission statement. Let me, let me read it to you. The mission of Bridges Church is to glorify God by renewing lives through the power of the Holy Spirit and equipping people to bring Christ-centered change to the world. Love that statement. Love that statement. I think it's just awesome. It talks about your spiritual life and it talks about your mission to the world and it's great. Last Sunday in our family forum, if you were there, if you weren't, uh, shame on you. No, just kidding. If you weren't, I'll give you a little review here, and, uh, and we should have something in writing for you. The elders and the staff and I shared some of the vision we have for how we'll advance this mission in 2016. And it involves a number of things, okay? Bear with me. Tom, Tom spoke about our vision for uh, increased giving for the Lord's work. Emily, uh, Emily Rickard. Children's director spoke about a vision for growing and equipping our children. Anthony Hall, youth outreach pastor, spoke about vision for growing and equipping our youth. He talked also about reaching out to our community, reaching out to, to North High. It's just right, wait, my, it's, it's, it's right there. Reaching out to some of our neighboring, some of these neighboring apartment complexes around us. Forming a team of people that will focus on outreach. Forming a team of people that can focus on welcoming people who visit our church. He talked about our need to reach out to young families. Because like I said, our elders are getting elder. Our need to increase our passion for prayer. Maybe this is at the heart of it. We're going to talk about this. Our need to continue to send and support missionaries and more. We have a vision to advance the mission that God has given us. And as I look at our church family, at at you, I see some amazing people, some amazing resources, gifted people. People who are willing to give their time and their talents and their treasures. But you know what? It doesn't matter how gifted we are. How talented we, how many talented people have, or how, how much money or resources we have, how much we're willing to give. The reality is, apart from the power of God's Spirit, God's presence among us, Bridges Church will do absolutely nothing of lasting value for the kingdom of God. Do you get that? Do you understand that? Do you believe it? Do you believe that we can accomplish more as a church in the next month? with the power of the Holy Spirit than we could in the next hundred years without Him? Do, you, do we want Christ to be exalted in our homes? Do we want our children and our young people to grow in their relationship with God? Do we want marriages that, are truly, that truly reflect Christ and His relationship with the church? Do we want to see lives transformed and renewed? 
Do we want our families and our friends and our co-workers and our neighbors and Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus and atheists to come to know Christ? Do we want to equip world changers? People who are seeing God use them to make Christ-centered change in their world. Do we want these things? Okay. If not, then, then what's the point? Why are we here? Why bother? But if we do, if so, then we must be desperate for. We have to seek God's presence in our lives and in our church. Because what God has called every one of us to do is dependent on his, upon His presence in and among us. And so the key to seeing God work through our, our lives, through your life, through my life, the key to seeing God accomplish His mission through you, through us, is not more resources, it's not working harder, it's not even more training. Not that those things are bad, I like those things, they're helpful. But they are not the key. The key to being used by God is having God's presence in your life. If there are things that you believe God is calling you to do, if there are people who you believe God wants you to reach out to, then the first thing, the most important thing, maybe the only thing you need to do is fall on your knees and worship in prayer before the Lord to invite Him to come with you, to lead you into this mission, to direct you. And the mission he has for your life. Samuel Chadwick said that one concern the devil, one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless work, prayerless studies, or prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, he mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. Jonathan Edwards said, When God has something very great to accomplish for his church, It is His will that there should proceed the extraordinary prayers of His people. If we're to accomplish the mission God has given us, we cannot neglect prayer. We cannot neglect our relationship with God. So second, Moses had a mission he couldn't complete, and we have a mission that we will never complete. We'll never even make any progress in Unless we have the presence of the Lord, apart from Him, we can do nothing. Third, Moses also had a people he could not forsake. It's very interesting when you get to verse 14 and God says to Moses, this is before Moses says, I'm not going without you. God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Wait, okay, then why does Moses say, I'm not not going? Because the you there is singular, not a plural you, singular. Moses, I will go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. You're, you're good. I, I like you. This is Moses' chance. Walk out of the tent, walk past all these grumbling, complaining people, tell them God's going with me and you missed out. You blew it. But he doesn't do it. It is terrible. It would be terrible. He stays there. And he, and, he, and he says in verse 15, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? It is not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. We can't go without you, God. We have to go together. Moses stays in the tent. He says, no, we need your presence. 
we see Moses showing, showing us that this is a, uh, a group effort. Christianity is a team sport. Now, I don't want to take away from God's grace given towards each. He meets us as individuals for sure, but the reality is God is not just redeeming, saving individuals in history. He's redeeming a people for Himself. And we are part of a much greater, a much larger picture. Because this is, this is, this is about us as a community of faith, as a people. It's not about this, this person here or that person there being desperate for His presence. It's about a people, us, saying we want to know the fullness of His presence, of, of the presence of God together. And we're praying for one another. Are you praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you praying that they will not abandon their relationship with God? Are you praying that they will grow in faith and engage in the mission that God gives them? We're, we're in this together. We're called to be in relationship with the Lord together. We're called to accomplish His mission together. So third, Moses had a people he would not forsake. He wasn't going without them. And we have a people we cannot forsake. Uh, we are family. And finally, Moses had a passion he could not satisfy. Moses had prayed that God's presence would go with his people. And in verse 17 we read, And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. All right. God answers Moses' prayer. And really that's the point, by the way. God was never going to leave his people. He wanted to see, what's Moses going to do? What's Moses going to do? God answers Moses' prayer. Yes, I'll go with you. We have a relationship. I know you by name. You're the man, Mo. Now, at this point, I would expect Moses to just move on. Just go ahead, move on. You've been bold, Moses. You said, God, God said, I'm go, I'm go, you have the land, go without me. Moses says, no, to God. That's pretty bold. He said, oh, and then God says, okay, Moses, I'll answer your prayer. It's, it's time to go, Moses. It's time to head back to the tent. It's time to leave the tent of meeting and go back, take a nap. He's called out to God for God's presence among his sinful people. He's received what he's asked for. Now it's time to walk away. No need to press your luck. However, Moses stays and he prays these words. Verse 18. He says, please show me your glory. Please show me your glory. How bold is that? If anyone had seen the glory of God, it's Moses, right? I mean, we, we were with him in chapter 3, the burning bush, talking to God. Wasn't that sufficient? He was on the front lines. He saw every one of God's plagues devastate Egypt and deliver Israel. He was there splitting the Red Sea, you know, walking through on dry ground, watching the sea close on Pharaoh and his armies. Moses, God, uh, Moses was with God, uh, was the leader as God led the people with a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. In Exodus 19 and 20, when God reveals himself in a consuming fire on the mountain, everybody has to stay away except for Moses. Moses gets to commune with God on the mountain. Moses has just been on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments, receiving the covenant. If anyone had seen the glory of God, it was Moses. So why does he say, please show me your glory? 
Because Moses had been in the presence of the Lord. He tasted the glory of God. And when you taste God's glory, you acquire this insatiable appetite for more and more and more and more. There's one place uh, the scripture teaches us to be content. You don't have to be content in your relationship with the Lord. You can want more and more and more. Moses had a 